Hello and welcome to the Bedroom Studios podcast, the podcast where we talk about what goes on behind the scenes in a musician's world and bridge the industry gap by bringing their stories, expertise and advice to early career artists. Subscribe to join us for a fun chat about life as a creative person, tips and tricks for pursuing an artistic career, navigating the music industry and more. I am your host, Emma, and today I will be interviewing Shreya Cha. Shreya is a Toronto-based composer, playwright, and medical student with a keen interest in the intersections between music and science. Her first musical statistics, debuted in 2019, won the 2020 Adams Prize for Musical Theatre at the Toronto Fringe, and was shortlisted for the Playwrights Guild of Canada's Robert Beardsley Award. Statistics is presently being developed by Shifting Ground Collective after receiving a Canadian Council grant. Shreya's research interests include music and dementia and the impact of music on developing brains. She has developed a composition program at Sistema Toronto and has been published in Frontiers in Psychiatry. I had such an amazing time interviewing Shreya. We talked about her musical journey, the play she is currently working on, her composition process, her experience applying for grants, and the intersections between music and science in both her fields in medicine and as a playwright. I hope you enjoyed the episode and thank you so much for listening. I'm so happy you're here. I'm happy to be here. So for, for those of you who don't know Shreya, she is a force of nature, and I really would love to hear more about, sort of, like, tell me your life story, I guess, like, what's, like, what was your musical journey like from life when your, your life story of music and all of your things that you do today that led you Wow. Okay. That's (laughs) quite a bit further back than I have gone in a while. Um, But uh, the story of music and science and all the things now. Um, So I grew up as a musician, as I think many of us did. Um, I started piano around five and then I added violin after many years of begging, I think around eight. Mm. Um, And yeah, I was always very involved in music in high school. I started composing pretty early too. And then I think I got more serious about that in high school when I had a really encouraging teacher um, who uh, was able to help me kind of gain some of those skills. Um, I think I knew from a pretty early age that I wanted to go into music in some capacity. Um, I would always say as a child, I think I wanted to be a writer and a composer. The writer part kind of fell out, but it came back in a weird way with the playwriting. Mm -hmm. So that's that's fun. Um, The science component didn't come so much till high school. I think science always came easier to me than... um, than uh, the more humanities-based courses. Um, And I I had an interest in it. It made sense to me. And I thought that there might be a really cool intersection there between music and health science or music and science in particular. A lot of the, at least in my spheres and in my life, a lot of the conversation around music and science was pretty new then, so it felt really groundbreaking. Um, So I thought let's, uh, it would be fun to pursue both in some capacity. Um, And... So that's when I applied to undergrad for both music and science, um, hoping to do both, and was met with a decent amount of resistance in most programs. Um, it uh, it seemed like there weren't a lot of existing programs for that, and people weren't too fond of the idea of someone bending the rules. Mm-hmm. Um, U of T was the one place that it actually seemed plausible, uh, uh, largely thanks to the music school registrar, um, who kind of outlined a path that I could pursue actually a full music degree, bachelor of music, and a full 
science degree, Bachelor of Science, um, in a number of years. I think I think I was told seven at the time, and I was like, how about we make it five? Um, I didn't fully know what I was getting into, honestly. Like, anyone who I described that to would tell me that objectively sounds nuts, and I, I think somehow that fell on deaf ears, and by the time I fully grasped the the reality of what that meant, like, pursuing two degrees in a fixed number of years. Um, I was kind of in too deep and uh, too stubborn to let it go. Uh, but it was great. It was pretty much, it was very much the perfect program for me doing the doing the dual, and I did finish it in five years. Um, oh, congrats. Thank you. Thank you. 2021 grad, very fun year to graduate. Uh, it, <laughs> it, it wasn't, uh, we, we didn't have a grad ceremony. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think so through doing both of those allowed me to really figure out where I would like this intersection to go. And medicine was always in the back of my mind as a possibility, but honestly, I, I felt like I had a little bit of an aversion to it in early years because it seemed like, oh, this is so dry. It's so much work for not a ton of reward. It's uh, not really what I want to do, and there's no room for music in it. And then, so what I thought I would do is I would either pursue some kind of, uh, like, full music path, or I would do... Uh, music and science via academia. Um, as I discovered musical theater and kind of moved away from pr- primarily composing classical music, I grew less fond of the soul music path because I thought like playwriting and musical theater works so much better when you incorporate it with other things. And I think I realized that the kind of impact I wanted to make would be much better served through medicine than through uh, academia. And I learned that a lot of the things that I thought about medicine, about it being dry and not person-centered and no room for music. Like, none of those things were true at all. Um, So that's what brought me to medicine, which I think if you had told, like, first-year me, first-year undergrad me that I would end up in medicine, I would have been very surprised. Um, But, uh, yeah, so I applied in my final year uh, of undergrad and uh, got into U of T, and now I'm wrapping up my second year, and it's been really great. I think it's, it's very much been the right path for me, and... I have been. I think I bring an interesting perspective to it with my musical work, and it allows me to really pursue my musical work on my own terms, uh, very much engaging in only the parts I would like to because that's what I have the time for. Um, and I, it feels like the playwriting career has also been going pretty well for the most part uh, alongside medicine. Um, so that is how I ended up here. Stay tuned to see where we go from here. <laughs> that's awesome. That's so cool how you were able to do the two degrees because I, I, I don't know. There's, I feel like there's that stereotype of you can either go into arts or medicine mm-hmm. and you, you have to give one up once you graduate high school. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I, I feel like that <clears throat> kind of exists on every on every level. People are like, okay, give it up after high school, give it up after undergrad, after mm-hmm. grad school even. Um, and the whole like left brained, right brained thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like I under like I think people definitely have different strengths and there are some people that I very much identify with like being an artist, being freer or more open minded versus being more logical and analytical, but the dichotomy just drives me nuts. Also, like speaking as a neuroscience major and graduate, uh, that's not a thing. The right brain, left brain thing is not a thing. Mm. Um, so yes, I, I love not splitting people into boxes. Debunking all the myths. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Something that I always wonder is how I and I'm sure this is the question you get all the time is how do you how do you manage your time doing all of this cuz you do a lot and I struggle managing my time doing just like the one thing I'm doing now. 
So like what how do you how do you navigate that? Mhm. I think managing time is a struggle like to no matter how much or how little you have going on honestly it's never it's never quite perfect. Um I think honestly the basis the baseline of the undergrad uh of having these two very different things that worked my brain in two very different ways and having to jump back and forth back and forth between that that very much primed me for right now. It was definitely an adjustment at the beginning of medicine um to have to study in a different way to have to dedicate time in a different way but um yeah it was like a kind of brain training of like I can switch very quickly from cranking out a lead sheet for a musical to like learning a lecture on cancer. Um a big part of the time management I think is um is kind of a an undergrad I think it was a big acceptance of like okay I'm going to be really busy and that's okay because that's that's something that's worth it. Um and I think that that helped me a lot more in first and second year undergrad. That's always a work in progress. Uh like in third year I struggled with that again thinking like I this is still too much uh mm-hmm. in terms of like it it's, it didn't work just to tell myself I have to be busy and be okay with that. Um but in a lot of ways one can serve as a break from the other. Mm-hmm. Um let's like when one way of thinking is not working out for me it's good to turn to a task I have for the other thing. And then it's fun to turn to the things I have that combine the two. Um, like my research uh, is is the current project I'm working on is about music evoked memories and dementia. Or my uh, musicals, a couple of them, two of them, two of the four that I have ha- um, are actually about like scientific topics. Statistics is about women in science and the story of the discovery of DNA and current day pre-medical students. And the one I'm working on right now to premiere at the end of July called The Last Piece is about the story of um, a, a an individual actually getting dementia and what that looks like. Um, so I think that uh, so that kind of uh, helps with some of the fatigue. I think the fact that everything's different. But that's not to say that you don't need regular breaks. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. about to come in here with some hustle culture of, like, you don't need breaks when you love yeah. what you do. No, you still need no breaks. Um, I yeah. find that there's a line where it's, like, that sort of that line of, like, if I cross it, then I get burnt out. Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't know if you relate, but for me it's, like, a big part of managing all the things I have to do is knowing how close I am to that line and mm-hmm. taking a step back when I when I feel the burnout coming on. Yeah, yeah, I'm that's such an important Yeah, that's such an important kind of awareness I think and I think a lot of people don't know where that line is and that line can shift yeah. um a lot of the times. Um I think a lot of it is also acceptance of like what I need like what I need to do right now may not necessarily be what I want to do mm. right now. Which can go both ways. It can go in the, what I need to do right now is learn this lecture, and what I want to do is, like, watch Netflix. That is, unfortunately, not what it is. Well, like, what's possible. But it can also be, like, what I need to do right now is pass out for a nap, while Mm. what I want to do is get ahead on my work because I'm so behind. Um, That's another thing that's a little hard to know. Um, But... uh, but yeah, that's there. I think I think I'm still as most of us are, like trying to figure out what works burnout wise and what doesn't. But it definitely helps for me that the two things I do are so different from each mm-hmm. other. Um and I think a lot of what I do, a lot of what helps with kind of replenishing is 
that both of those things are very social. I mean, studying is not very social, but medicine, you're always working with other people. Music, you're always working with other people. And I have a lot of really great peers and friends and colleagues that I love to spend time with. And I think that really helps replenish me knowing that mm-hmm. I'm going to get to do this with these people, which is another big part of why I didn't love the idea of going into academia because I knew it would be a lot more isolating, at least for the first few years. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, like, I guess, would you consider yourself an extrovert? or an introvert I go back and forth all the time like me too someone actually asked me yesterday a friend asked me yesterday what my MBTI is like my Myers-Briggs type and I was like I am a blank NFJ because the (laughs) I and E goes back and forth all the time I think when I took it during COVID I was an E but that might have been because I've missed social interaction Mm. I really don't know I have components of both um yeah I think I'm like in the middle I consider myself an extroverted introvert, mm-hmm. which can that's a be, thing. That's a thing. People it could be thing. tricky sometimes. Yeah. It's like I really want to be with people, but I can't handle all of the yeah. interactions. Yeah, it's like that reset time by yourself, um, even if you're mm-hmm. like working or doing something. Just I think knowing you're at ease by yourself, like that's that's necessary. Yeah, and even that's tricky. Just being being okay, being alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but. Yeah, and it's like, I don't know, I guess like science, science and music, they, although they're sort of primarily social, there are elements of it that require you to be by yourself. For, yeah. Like, for practicing or mm-hmm. studying. Exactly, yeah. Studying is a big one. I know some people group study, but if I want to be productive, I can't group study. Um, a lot of music writing. Uh, I write primarily by myself. Like, I have a few collaborators, but uh, my main musicals I write by myself. And a lot of that is just like gremlin in her bed at two in the morning (laughs) writing out a lead sheet or a script um so yeah like those components are done by yourself by by yourself but it's a nice contrast with the parts that you do with others i think yeah it's nice to be able to do a lot of different things within the things that you like to do Mm -hmm. just keeps it fresh exactly (laughs) um so you mentioned that you have a musical that is in the works right now Mm -hmm. can you tell us more Yes. So this one, so it's called The Last Piece. We actually have callbacks tomorrow as of the day that we are recording this, which is very exciting. Um, I came up with this idea in summer 2020, but I was in the middle of writing uh, one of my other musicals at the time. So I was like, okay, I'm going to shelve this and come back to it later. Um, It was initially it was about a couple where one gets uh, dementia and the other is trying to preserve um, the the, uh, first individual's uh, memories by going through the memories with their partner and uh, in doing so we kind of see a retelling of their love story and everything that Aww. they've been through um, but then I decided why have them be happily married when you can have them be divorced and make it extra complicated and honestly I think that was that was a slightly easier story for me to write it was a bit easier to access those emotions um, so it is about a divorced couple uh, they haven't heard from each other in years and our uh, our main our protagonist, uh, a woman, um, gets a call from the doc- doctor's office that her ex-husband, um, who again she hasn't spoken to in years, has just been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and she um, they and the healthcare team kind of assumes she's going to be the primary caregiver, so she's kind of like stuck with going through all these memories with this person to help, uh, with her ex-husband to help, uh, to help him preserve that, that is actually shown to be really important in Alzheimer's disease, that kind of cognitive rehearsal and going Mm. back through your memories to strengthen them, um, improves their understanding of who they are and can, uh, slow decline. Um, so she's stuck kind of going through this with him 
the audience is seeing a retelling of those memories or piecing together the love story all while she's dealing with the fact that she has unresolved feelings about this relationship and uh, and what that means for her. And we see her her journey through that as she struggles, as we see him decline. And, I mean, I don't want to spoil it, but I think um, she has some realizations about her feelings about her relationship, her uh, the nature of memories and uh, and, like, what it means to help someone through that kind of disease. Wow. That's that's really intriguing. I'm I'm very excited to to hopefully watch it when I it, hope when it so. I hope you can too. July twenty eighth and twenty ninth. Is that on a weekend? It is a Friday and a Saturday. Okay, that might work. Excellent. <laughs> I'll do my best. How do you decide what story is worth pursuing when you're writing a musical? Because you know, like it's, I assume it takes a really long time to write a musical and it's like, do you ever, like, oh, this is one that I'm going to carry through to the end? Or does it sort of happen as you go? Yeah. I, I honestly wonder this about other people as well. Like, looking at a lot of the musicals that are popping up um, and, like, new works that have made it to the big stage, I wonder, like, who thought of making that a musical? Sometimes in, like, in like in awe of, like, wow, like, who came up with this idea that's so interesting and it works so well and sometimes like really like is that the musical that we're writing okay I mm-hmm. guess um, and sometimes you're pleasantly surprised so I, re- I really think almost anything can be a good story um, if you tell it right uh, interestingly I think that storytelling and crafting a story is probably the component that I struggle with the most because mm-hmm. I mean I'm a trained composer um, lyrics uh, kind of have always come relatively easily to me. I wrote a lot of poems as a child and that transitioned into lyrics and that feels really natural. But stories, story is a challenge and I'm always kind of trying to learn and get better. But in terms of coming up with ideas, for each of those, each of the ones that I came up with, I think I did have a little bit of a eureka moment of like, Mm. oh, that's something I want to do. But once that idea happens, there is so much kind of like spewing words and I always come up with a, a word vomit document I have one for each of the shows so it's kind of fun I never delete anything from them so it's kind of fun to look back and think like oh this is what statistics looked like in summer 2018 or this is what connections looked like in summer 2019 um uh and in doing that it's a lot of kind of like spewing out what are my own ideas about the story what do I want to tell um what do I want the audience to feel and through a lot of that it's almost like you throw like a it's like it's almost like a sand castle where like you get a massive amount of sand and you throw it all on the ground and then you have to like shape it and plug mm-hmm. away at it. Um, so I think of it more as like I try to throw in a plethora of ideas and make something out of them. And sometimes I think that can show in that my stories feel like they have a lot of ideas in them or um, or it feels like there there's not as clear a movement. But I think I'd like to think that that's something everyone struggles with with storytelling. Um, so that tends to be how I do that. That's similar to how I did that, did this for the last piece. Um, I always joke that I don't remember a lot of my, (laughs) like, the writing process because it feels like it, like, I'm just, like, agonizing over it and then it somehow happens. Um, but, uh, but I, I think these have been common threads through them. The idea of just, like, throwing so many ideas out there and seeing what happens. That tends to be how I work. I know not everyone works that way. Yeah. I used to do that a lot with songwriting, and then it's it's always the best feeling when something you came up with one week connects so nicely with something you came up with at mm-hmm. a different time. 
and you can sort of extrapolate all those little pieces pieces and <laughs> put them together mm-hmm. in the last piece. <laughs> yeah, nailed it. Yeah, exactly. I think I think songwriting is is very storytelling based, mm-hmm. um, like discipline as well. And I think that very similar idea there. Yeah. And so, do you how how often would you say that like you you compose? Is it something you do on the go, or do you have to sort of sit at your piano and write? It's so variable. I, I know a lot of my like colleagues from undergrad composition, and and a lot of the profs would say like set aside time every day or every couple of days. You, usually in undergrad, it was every day, um, like every day to write, um, like a dedicated amount of time. Um, I, I, I never did that. Um, I think some of my friends actually would say that, like, yeah, it's scheduled composition time helped them. But I, as much as I'd like to blame it on like, oh, I was busy, I had a lot of things to do. Like, yes, I did, but so did everyone else. I think it's just, it just wasn't how I worked. But at the same time, like, I am someone that if you are, if you tell me like, okay, I need a song in a number of hours, I can get something out. It, it probably won't be good, but I can get something out like I can generate material really fast and I think that's been a strength of mine so a lot of it is actually on the go um Connections which is another one of my musicals that you played in um just now in March uh when I wrote the first version of it in 2019 summer I was commuting to a job in Mississauga and I would sit on the UTM shuttle bus um for probably a total of over two hours a day like hour there hour back something like that um, and that was where a lot of my writing got done. Um, so very much like in those little moments, uh, sometimes it, that's, that's really good for generating ideas, writing song lyrics. I think like if it works in those moments, you can get a lot done. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are other times when, when I am coming up with melodies, uh, or themes to tie a show together. Cause I really, I value like motivic unity a lot in my shows and I, for those, I do need to sit at the piano. So usually I'll, that I will schedule. I'll think like, okay, I, especially, you know, if I'm visiting home, like my parents have that piano there that I have a constant ac- access to. I'll think like, okay, I'll be home for this day. I have to make sure to go spend some time on the piano. Um, but a lot of the other times it's like, it's, it's, it's when it happens. Um, and uh, one act, one practice I actually came up with during COVID was I would go to, because we always wanted to, we couldn't go anywhere. Everyone was like, I just want to go somewhere. I would go to a park just a couple blocks mm-hmm. from my house and just sit and write there. Um, so I guess that was a little bit scheduled um, and like getting into a nice environment. But uh, that was because during that time you had that luxury of time. Um, yeah. So it's a very long-winded answer to say yes to all of the above. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. That's really cool. That's always something I I wonder because that's something I've always struggled with with um, composing, I guess, or like composing things for instruments. I don't do it very often because I don't set aside the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and there's sort of that resistance of like, oh, yeah, I want to be composing. But then when you actually go to sit down, it's like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is hard. I think I think I would definitely feel that if I were someone who, um, like, was told to schedule it or had to schedule it. Um, but uh, I think after a while, having gone to school for it and just getting those skills, like, I figured out what worked for mm-hmm. me, and I knew I, I was generating material. Um, 
and that it was working out okay. Um, so I think that over time, I think as you get to know yourself and your writing style, you can work in a way that serves you best. Yeah, like even just figuring out, like, I know for, for me, I think there's like a time of day where I mm-hmm. feel most creative. And if I can access that and like just get, make time at the time where I know mm-hmm. that I'll be able to generate ideas, it's it's so much easier. What is that time of day for you? Um, either in... So, okay, um, I... What I've realized about myself is that if I can, I I'd like to take my time to get ready in the morning and start my day That's so and fair. have it be really chill. And so once I do that, if I have time in the morning as like the first thing I do, and I don't have too much going on in the afternoon, then I can be really creative in that sort of like mid morning after I wake up, or um, in the late afternoon evening before I go to bed because I'm a night owl me too and so by morning I mean like 10 (laughs) o'clock you are talking to this yes to the right person yes (laughs) me too uh medicine is an interesting discipline to be in with that um but that is interesting I I always assume I guess night owl means your creative time happens at like absurd hours of the night which definitely has been the case for me sometimes like a lot of my one musical of mine, 18 Pals Road, while wow, they're all coming up. This is so convenient. Um, we'll, I, we'll link all any any links you have. Oh, yes, I will send those. Um, that one I orchestrated almost entirely between the hours of 12 and 2 a.m., wow. um, which is a mix of kind of where I was at at that point in life. And like, this was summer 2021. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't working in person at that point. Um, and... That was like I was able to do that, and to just like that was when I did feel creative. Um, but I guess yeah, it's good to hear that a night owl could plausibly have more creative time in the morning. Yeah, um, because I I that's don't know. An inspiration. I'm at me. that period of life right now where I've finally I finally get like kind of a decent amount of sleep, and I prioritize that. So. Um, if it gets too late at night, then I just get too tired. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't have that... You know, like, you have that, like, second wind late oh, at yeah. night sometimes? Oh, I, yeah. That that second wind is my undoing. I feel like that's what makes me a night owl. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've, I, I dip at, like, 8, and then I get a second wind until maybe, like, 12 or 1, mm-hmm. and then I go to sleep. So it's that, that time is... Like, it's all sort of shifted. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know, maybe it was just because, like, when I was doing a lot of stuff, um, like, after breakfast, it was because I had time at that time to mm-hmm. be creative. Um, whereas, like, you know, I don't always have it then. So it was nice to sort of have, just like, oh, I don't have to do anything right now. I'm going to play piano. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so... Another thing I wanted to ask was, so you wrote the musical, but then how did you bring it from just being this thing that you had created to actually being performed? Yeah, man, there's, it's, it truly does feel like that's like the mystery box of yeah. like input, <laughs> something happens, output. Um, I think one one thing that is really helpful in that is that a lot of my musicals, at least in their first iteration, were developed in the student sphere, um, like through student theater. 
the one that is actually not being done through student theater is the last piece. So that's that's going to be interesting. But I can I can speak on how that process has been different in just a little bit. Um, so with student theater, you have like you you apply through one of the student societies. You get you're like okay, this is we'll accept your show. These are the dates that you're going to have, and you just know the show has to be done for that time. Um, so usually, as I was uh, as I was writing, I would find either as I was writing or after, uh, just as I was the script was freshly done, I would f- I would find a director or someone would find me a director. Um, and I would work with them to put together the rest of the team. Uh, and we, that was it. We just kind of, I, I think it was such a challenge that each of my directors had to take on, like take the script that literally has not existed mm. before the last couple months and do something with it. And I've had so many that have been so amazing to work with. Um, I have to shout out the most recent director of Connections, Haley. Uh, like she brought things out of, I mean that also wasn't the first edition of the show, but she brought out things out of, things out of that show that I didn't even know were there. Um, like she did an absolutely incredible job. So a big part is that kind of collaborative relationship with the director off the bat. I think you need to know that you can provide them enough information to make sure that your vision of the show is there, but also leave room for them to have their vision. Um, so for pretty much every single one, I'd give them the script. They'd ask me whatever questions they'd have. Uh, we'd come up with a bit of a process together. In my earlier days, I would music direct my shows a lot. Now I don't do that anymore. Um, so I'm very much only in the playwright seat. And and then we start. I mean, we we pick a couple scenes and songs we want to see people's. Uh, we want to see people do. We put out auditions. Students will audition in a timely manner. In the case of Fringe, uh, the, uh, which was statistics last year, that was a little bit of a shorter time frame, but it's the same idea. You know, these young actors audition. Um, you pick them and 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 you rehearse it p- bit by bit and it always feels like it's never quite going to come together and then suddenly somehow it does. Mm-hmm. Um, it's every performance exactly. of anything. Yeah. So for all so the other ones... panic moment. Yeah, the panic moment. I, I, I feel like I didn't have it for Connections this time around. I think other people definitely did, but I think I just wasn't as involved this time around. I was I was in such useless playwright mode. I had it was panic great. moments. <laughs> you had a panic moment? I okay. did. I'm, I'm glad it worked out. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's good. You just um, lock yourself in the practice room. Ah, it's one of those. Yes. Perfect. Um, so it, 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 it is very much like an input question mark output because when it's the student sphere, it is... It is, there's not a lot of edits happening once that script is done because you're just hitting the ground running. Um, and for statistics at Fringe, uh, I kind of had conversations with the, with the, both the director and the music director and also another really great team I had there for maybe a month or two months before we, before we started auditioning people. Um, but yeah, once we started auditioning, it was, it was a, like it was more or less set in stone for that performance. Um, last piece is slightly different now because we're we're auditioning. Like we're, we have callbacks tomorrow. I have about half. I have the whole script outlined in a lot of detail. I have about half of it actually written out, and um, I don't have a ton of the sheet music written out at all. And I just had a meeting with my director on Monday, who is also kind of doing some dramaturgy of this, which is dramaturgy is like kind of 
editing and probing and asking questions and facilitating the environment for the playwright to make those edits. And I think that's going to be a much more ongoing process mm-hmm. um, for this show because it is it is so new. Like, all my other shows are new. This one is it's literally being created as we speak. Um it's going to be like I'm going to get input from director, from the director, from the actors. They'll be getting a lot of things as we go, um, hopefully in a way that's not stressful and rather feels like collaborative and good. Um, but I think that might mean that there's a lot more editing of the show as we go, and there's a lot more of me actually putting in the time to make it a better show to get those new editions of it um, throughout that process. Uh, so that's interesting. That's definitely yeah. new for me. Editing editing has always been a bit difficult because I think once you see the show a certain way, you can't picture it another way. And I have to take mm-hmm. so much time away from it before I edit it. Uh, but I think hopefully this will break down some of that, the idea that it can all be malleable, um, especially when it's the first version of the show. Yeah. And so, like, was it more of, like, a conscious choice of we're going to just go into this and we'll make it more collaborative as we go? Or was it... A case of your show's going to be on this date and that was sort of fixed and you kind of had to go go straight in even if you would have wanted more time to finish writing yeah honestly it was probably mostly the latter like the most of my fall semester was spent trying to confirm dates for both connections which we just wrapped up in march um and the last piece um, and I was looking at a couple different avenues, a couple different grants. Uh, and so it was very much application season. And as everything kind of like shook down, I knew that Connections was going to be up with Trinity College uh, in March through the student sphere. Uh, statistics uh, is my, my my other show was we are I already knew that that was going to be developed through a really cool new organization called Shifting Ground Collective. Um, in March, and then I learned kind of over the winter break uh, both that we had gotten some grants for the last piece and that uh, I had gotten a confirmation from the venue that I had been in conversation with for months that they could book us in for the end of July. And at that point, I was like thinking like, okay, so the next three months of my life are going to be largely spent working on my two other shows mm-hmm. and school, because that's a thing. Um and so what is the last piece going to look like? I, I knew it was going to be a small show, uh, like small scale, uh, small cast, all of that, and not too long. So I was like, okay, that's already not super daunting. But then I think at that point I thought, let's embrace this more collaborative nature of this. Let's really kind of bring in the music and science, the idea that it's an exploration. Because this is the first time this show is existing, let alone going up. It's It's okay if it gets totally changed after this. Um, so my main hope is with right with that right now is that I don't end up stressing out mm-hmm. my colleagues and actors by it being um, uh, such a uh, like delivered like these deliverables being uh, received so close to the actual deadline. But uh, it's not the first time that something like this has been the case. So I think it'll be okay. I think we'll yeah. manage, and we have some really really great actors auditioning. I'm very excited for tomorrow. It's that's really exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, do you frequently revisit your shows and change things after they've gone up, or is it kind of like they go up and that's it? It's I I never want it to be the latter, but like I said, editing is so hard. Um, like I always want, especially because each of my shows have gone up with in the student space I always wanted to be the first of many and like the idea that okay this is almost like a workshop presentation um we're gonna see what worked what didn't I'm gonna edit it and I'm gonna look for other opportunities Mm. um but 
when I get to the editing, it's almost like this big question mark of, okay, now what? Um, so, for example, with statistics, I went. we went up for the first time in February 2019 at the U of T Drama Festival. And after that, I was like, okay, well, the book closed on that for now. I'm going to move on to writing connections. And, like, literally less than two months after we closed, I was starting to write connections. That was also, like, me, the first year of me discovering musical theater. So I was like, this is amazing. I want to do this all the time. Which I still feel like that is the case, but is in a little bit more of a reasonable manner. <laughs> um, so... And then, so, and then I was expecting that I probably wouldn't go back to statistics for a while. I was like, okay, well, I'll write a couple of new ones. Then that November, I learned that I had gotten the, the new musical prize at Fringe. Yay. And I was, in theory, I was supposed to go up in 2020. But we all know that didn't happen. We went up in 2022. Um, so then I was kind of faced with the fact that, oh, I have to edit the show so soon. Like, it still feels like I don't quite know what to do with it. Um, and that's when I brought in, uh, like, I brought in some dramaturgical help um, and uh, talked to a couple different people about it. Um, so that was that was a shorter turnaround time than I normally would take because for my other shows, for Connections and 18 Palace Road, after they went up for the first time, I, like, ignored them for years before I actually, I actually went back to them. Granted, I don't know if it would have looked different if we, if we didn't have COVID because, I mean, the years that I ignored Connections were 2020 and 2021, and I don't think much was going to happen there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do feel like when I went back to it uh, about two years, two, two to three years later, um, kind of between late 2021 and late 2022 is when I actually edited and uh, worked on it. I, I don't think, I, I, I think before that I would, I just wouldn't have known what to do with it. Um, and I do think by the time I went back to it, I, I had enough space from it that I thought, okay, this is what I, like, I know what to do with this now. Yeah. Um, so when you put up a show, you see it so many times. Exactly. And you're like, it's a mix of, okay, I know what works and what doesn't. And a mix of this is just the way it is like this is the show um and i do feel like with the most recent edition of connections that we had that it's much much closer to what i'd like it to be finally like i feel i genuinely feel like that's the show of mine that is probably in the strongest space right now like at at the strongest point um and then 18 palace road is another one that we went to october 2021 and i have ignored it ever since and now it's like slowly oh yeah you did did you see it online or in person in person oh excellent and now it's like slowly percolating in my brain of like, okay, I think we could do something with this. But we're at the one and a half year plus mark. Mm-hmm. Um, and statistics now, because I'm doing going through a developmental process with Shifting Ground Collective, where we put on a stage reading, we're going to put on a full workshop and then a full production in three consecutive years. That has it's kind of amazing. forced me to... It is very exciting. They're a very cool organization. I will put the link to check them out yeah. as well. Um, that has kind of made me go back into the constantly thinking and reframing space, which is which is good. Um, so I think by default, my editing process is ignore and come back with fresh <laughs> eyes. But with statistics and to an extent with the last piece, it's nice to know that like to to kind of reframe it in my mind as this is all really malleable and this can all continue to change. And um, this is one version of the show. It's not mm-hmm. the, which I know in my heart, but it's nice to not get fully stuck in not being able to see yeah, it any differently. it takes differently. the pressure off. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I find when, if I'm writing something and it's in my brain of, like, this has to be the final version, then it just, like, it's it stops me. It sort of puts up a wall mm-hmm. and stops me from being creative. 
Exactly. Yeah. And like, even if I know it's going to be the final version, I have to tell myself, like, this is just a draft. You know, like, mm-hmm. this, this could all, you'd always go back. And also, like, final version for now doesn't have to be final version forever. That's so I guess true. that's more the case for theater. I, I, I think songs that you, you know, record and release and stream are different, but theater like this production you know yes it's the final version as you're not going to tell people to change things at dress rehearsal <laughs> but a later production which you which I, I hope to have for any of these shows um can be different and that's fine because like productions change all the time mm-hmm. so you mentioned that you were applying to a lot of grants mm-hmm. to to make these musicals happen so i guess a is where did you look for grants and what was the process in applying to them? And B is when you received a grant, how how was your like process in budgeting everything? Mm-hmm. This is grant grants are such an elusive topic and mm-hmm. the people who really know grants will tell you it's very formulaic. Um, I don't really know grants, so I don't think it's formulaic. But it's good to hear my friends who know grants say it's formulaic, because I'm like, maybe one day I will know them. <laughs> so I primarily applied through uh, to two pools. I would I apply to Ontario Arts Council has something called Recommender Grants for Theater Creators, which is basically like OAC has the money, and each a lot of the theater companies in I think yeah well all through Ontario, but a lot of them are congregated in Toronto. Um, it's almost like they will recommend you for a grant. Like they'll pick uh, maybe six applications for. They're not. They're not massive amounts for a theater project. It's between one thousand to three thousand usually. Um, they'll pick you, uh, kind of give you to OAC and say like, "Hey, give this person money for this project." And OAC's like, "Okay," and they give nice. it to you. Um, so those are great for for my purposes because like they're exactly that they're for th- theater creators they're for writers so that's me I'm not well versed in production I'm not well versed in 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 like budgets and directing and all that but I'm a writer that's what I do so this is really perfect because the app is almost largely like okay what's the story you want to tell and there's a little bit of question of like what will you do with the money but realistically majority of this is is used to like just pay yourself to, to write that um it doesn't necessarily have to be, but a, a lot of the times, like they they don't put pressure on you to come up with an itemized budget for that, uh, because they know it's largely going to be payment for yourself. So you can apply to five of those per year. Um, most people, uh, I think, you can't be a full time undergrad student. Um, there was some confusion I remember this year of like, are med students allowed? And I was like, please allow me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be in school forever. I would like to be eligible for grants because I'm working in the professional sphere as a theater creator. Mm-hmm. Um, Thankfully, that worked out fine. Uh, so, so yeah, this was my second year of eligibility. Um, I didn't apply to many last year, but did the full five this year. Um, and uh, so that's one that I think I'll keep going back to. I have also looked at the Ontario Arts Council like theater projects, but those are a lot more involved and probably should be written by a team, like a production team. Mm. Um, so I've applied to those. Uh, the theater projects have not gotten them, but I did get two recommenders this year, one for the last piece. Um, and one for another show about uh, about the partition of India and uh, like kind of Indian diaspora that I'm hoping to develop in the future. That one barely exists right now, which is why I'm not talking about it. But um, uh, so exciting. stay tuned. <laughs> stay, tuned <laughs> stay tuned. Eventually, one of these days. Yeah. Um, so that's so that's OAC and that money. The the amount I got for the last piece is going to be used uh, for a mix of like. Uh, production production expenses um honoraria 
uh, all sorts of things for uh, this production that we have coming up. Um, and then I also, because I'm still a student at U of T, I have access to some student grants, uh, not mm-hmm. the faculty music ones because I've graduated. Um, and a lot of the, I mean, a lot of the medicine ones aren't super relevant for the kind of work I do. Like, not they're not artistic grants. But I was a school of graduate studies student as well because of a diploma I'm doing. And so I applied to one of their kind of like sponsorship and initiative funds um, for the last piece. And we got that one as well. So that's also going to be adding mainly to production costs. Honestly, I didn't do the budget. I brought on an absolutely fantastic production manager who is a uh, or production manager and a producer, two different fantastic friends that I've worked on with, um, like worked with for on theater before, and they made the budget together, which is great because they're so much better at it than me. Um, yeah. Have but, you? Because um, I, I'm just like going off of my own experience. Something that was really difficult for me when I was first applying to things and getting money to do to do stuff was um, doing it for the first time. It's like the grants require a lot of them require you to know how much things cost but because you haven't done it before mm-hmm. you don't know how much things cost mm-hmm. um do you have do you relate to that definitely yeah i mean the little uh, experience with budgets i had before was like for student theater you would have to submit a budget mm-hmm. of like this is what i will expect the show will cost but those are relatively straightforward because you're not worried about um, like paying people artist fees, you're not worried about uh, insurance. A lot of that is covered by the mm-hmm. fact that you're student production. So honestly, a lot of mine was like looking up Long and McQuaid rental amounts yeah. and then like guesstimating based on talking to people. And now that's primarily what I do. Like I will talk to people and get people who are better at it than I am. Like working with people who know the craft better than you. Mm-hmm. Um, which has been, I think, a big learning point for me in my entire artistic career. Like, I tend to be such, like, a lone wolf for, uh, for a mix of, like, I want to do this exactly how I want to do it, and I want to do it on my terms and my timeline, and I'm afraid that I'm not going to be able to get someone else to commit to this thing that's mine. But um, but I think it's so important to get people who work well, that you like working with, and are willing to work on stuff with you, and also engage that like to put that same like reciprocity forward to them like if you're willing to do good work on their projects they'll do it for you and I found feel like I've found a lot of those really great people and I'm very thankful for that um so uh yeah I think that's a big part of the of budgeting just like asking people things um as for I think you had asked about like where to find grants as well um OAC, TAC, and then Canada Council for the Arts mm. have like has like some of those big boy ones. Um, the one that we got, the Canada Council grant that we got for statistics, I had very little part in writing. This was again the fantastic members of Shifting, Shifting Ground Collective, who have now been shouted out for the third time, <laughs> um, who wrote this, and I, I gave them whatever information they need. So I think that that kind of brings up my past point: like get people who are good at this stuff around you uh get good grant writers at as friends get people who like doing it mm-hmm. um because they do exist surprisingly because yeah. i don't like doing that stuff um but uh i think that will always make for a stronger application and a stronger overall project yeah how far in advance would you typically have to plan ahead between you know writing the grants receiving the response and then being able to put on the musical um, because I haven't, I haven't been at the forefront of 
a grant that was actually like a theater project grant to put on a full like professional level musical um that timeline i'm not super sure about i know it will be like usually the response time is around three months if not Mm -hmm. more for some of these grants let's see what was it for statistics it might have been even more yeah because that was a canada council so i think that was more like four months but oac is usually about three months three and a half um for for the recommenders and for the level of kind of where the last piece is operating where like yes we're operating as a professional show but people are getting honorarium pay it's a lot of double duty like we're like we're an indie professional show mm-hmm. um for something like that like the turnaround time could be a little less cuz also that depends so much on things that work on the fly like um if you're getting if you're getting your venue for free or for a like for a small donation depends on when they're available when they're going to get back to you um some of these other grants and then these smaller grants usually will have a shorter response time like i think i heard back from the uh, the recommenders in about two months a little less like seven weeks and the school grant in about a month Mm. Um, so, so much of that I think is like being flexible and adaptable and thinking like, okay, we want to make this work and it's primarily for the love of developing a new show. We're not paying people big bucks out of this. In fact, the, like the money there is very much an idea of like, Hey, we respect your time as a professional artist. Not like this is an hourly Mm -hmm. equivalent pay of everything you put into the show. I wish I could pay people that, but unfortunately I'm not at that level yet. Um, one day, hopefully, (laughs) um, so I think, like, planning ahead as much as possible is great. Thinking, like, okay, maybe I'd like to do, let's let's see, we're now in May. Thinking, like, okay, maybe I'd like to do a show in December, January. Even that's probably a little bit short. But um, planning as much as possible, coming forward with a plan, and then being flexible based on what you get is, yeah. I think, so key for indie theater. Like, for Connections, I thought for a long time that we would be putting it on at uh, my old high school in, like, maybe late April, early May and doing it as a mix of educational workshops with them. And that didn't end up working out for a variety of reasons. But then my conversations with Trin came to a head of, hey, can you be the the next show in our season? Um, And that was a full month earlier. Like, that was going up middle of March, a full month earlier than we were supposed to. And we adapted, and uh, we pivoted to that. Um, So that was... uh, So I think that's a big part of it. It's not not as much about planning ahead as it is about, like, being flexible and chasing as many opportunities as possible Mm -hmm. that's really cool thank you yeah i have my last two questions that i'm asking everyone so the first question is when you were sort of just beginning your journey as an artist is there a resource or a piece of information that you know now that you wish you had at that time Hmm. or like what would you tell your younger self basically my younger self um I guess I can think of the, like, me beginning my time as an artist both, like, arguably it could be, like, before undergrad, but I guess undergrad is a pretty good starting point for most people. Um, but for me, it's, it almost feels like third year when I started writing musical theater um, is a beginning point. I think, I think always, look, I, and I did a little bit of this for classical, but I didn't start doing this for musical theater until probably later than I should have. Um always just like looking for random like opportunities competitions places to submit your things to mm-hmm. um even if you look up like musical theater like new musical competition kind of thing that's not really a thing actually but like script submissions call for scripts um call for scores 
Um, that, that applies more to the classical field as well. Or, like, joining different, like, Facebook groups for, for Toronto theatre, getting to know different people in the field. All of this will help you understand. I think basically putting in the initiative to know what the opportunity, like, the landscape of opportunity looks like and then mm-hmm. putting yourself out there. Because I think in music school, it's so easy because you have so much to do in school. It's so easy to focus all your time on what you're doing for school. But ultimately, yeah, as being in that bubble. Exactly. Yeah, it really does. And like, it, it's great. I mean, I, I love my time at music school. But ultimately, as an artist, like it's it's never too early to start. And if you fail, that's OK. Like I get so many rejections all the time. We all do. It's part of it. But then like the most like bizarre and random yeses will end up like maybe some of the best opportunities so I think if you know like now I think now I am I still there's still so much I need to know but now I can tell you like okay fringes um like the fringe competitions open up by October or like like they're due by October Playwrights Guild of Canada's due April May um fringe lotteries open up at a certain time uh and like just all sorts of other like that's that's more stuff that I know now and mm-hmm. most of those are because I like threw an application in on a whim and sometimes it worked out sometimes it didn't um but now I know so I think yeah that's what I would what I would suggest and it looks different for every field like for theater obviously I could give you specifics if you're like a classical performer I don't think I could tell you but doing the research and talking to people to find out opportunities even if they seem super far out and then and then just trying them because mm-hmm. it puts you on the map and it makes you know your own city and the industry better. That's awesome. That's really good advice. Thank you. Yeah, and you meet a lot of new people through that. Exactly. Even if it's just like going to a campus theater show, mm-hmm. you end up meeting this whole community of people who are doing the same thing as you. Yeah, yeah, the campus theater community is one that's like it's palpable in that way because it's not one major of people. It's not even all people who are at U of T, but it's such a strong bond that everyone mm-hmm. has. Yeah, it's a very wholesome community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, last question is, do you have any music or song recommendations? Oh. It could be anything. Anything. Wow. Um, okay, well, I'll shout out my top two favorite. Top three? I'll do top th- top three favorite musicals. The third the third place spot keeps switching around because um, it depends on whether we're going for, like, a nostalgia vibe or, like, a mm. classical vibe. My favorite musical of all time is In the Heights. I would recommend both listening to the Broadway soundtrack and uh, and watching the movie. Um, it's probably probably everyone will know Hamilton. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, the, this is Lin-Manuel Miranda's first show before he wrote Hamilton, uh, almost 10 years before, I think. Uh, and it's great. It's 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 like a beautifully authentic and just really touching story for 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 everyone. Um, and it has some bops. So I would suggest In the Heights. Um, musical number two is Come From Away. I think oh, yeah. people people will probably be familiar with that. Um, another beautifully authentic story. Uh, and then musical number three, as I said, shifts around, but I just finished playing a production of it, so I'm going to shout out Fun Home. It's a very interesting type of musical in that it doesn't really follow your classic structure at all. Um, and even playing it in Pitt, like I played a decent number of musicals in Pitt, and it felt very different, but um, but it's just, it's it's really like such an interesting retelling of the story because it does so many things you wouldn't expect. Um, so I would recommend all of those. I know that's like three hours of listening, but you don't have to listen to all of them. Just try it. <laughs> yeah, just just try. It. Well, I mean, I wanted to, I want to make a playlist of everything. Mm-hmm. So I'm 
very seriously considering just adding the entire, the entire soundtrack. soundtrack to all three. Oh, you could <laughs> maybe just pick pick the the ones that have the most plays. Like I I trust yeah. the people of Spotify to pick good ones. That's true. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the very first episode of the Bedroom Studios podcast. Don't forget to add this podcast to your playlist and like and follow us on social media at Bedroom Studios Podcast. I will be also linking Shreya's social media in the description. You should definitely check out her music, plays, and other projects. And make sure to follow our playlist of guest music recommendations. Everything will be linked in the description. And new episodes of the podcast will be released every Thursday. So stay tuned for next week. I hope to see you there. Thank you.